Hey kids, I'd like to introduce you to a new podcast you're going to love. On behalf of myself, Morgan Rector, of one of the most horrific true crime podcasts, Human Monsters, I'd like to ask you this question. Do you like to travel? Do you like picturesque locations and getting away from it all? Fun fact, there is a morgue on every cruise ship. After all, people die everywhere. Why wouldn't they die on a cruise ship in the Bahamas? Well, this new podcast has all that and murder. Murder. It's called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that took place on vacation. Hosted by true crime fanatic, her comedy writer husband, and his TV producing partner, Slaycation brings a unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, and what-the-fuck stories of vacations gone horribly wrong. From the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, two recently engaged lovebirds whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended underwater, each episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that'll intrigue you. It's the discussion between a longtime married couple and business partners who happen to be Emmy-nominated TV producers. Each episode of Slaycation also includes humor, takeaway, and travel tips that will keep your next vacation from being your last. If you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Hello, Catherine? Hey, it's Morgan. How are you doing? I'm very well. How about yourself? I'm okay. Yeah. How's the weather down there? Uh, you live in Texas, right? Yeah, it's pretty pretty humid. Oh, yeah? It's a nice sunny day? Uh, yeah, it's, it's nice and sunny. Way too hot to be outside. Oh, yeah. You're just wondering if it's a nice day to uh, talk about one of the worst things that ever happened to you? Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, so uh, just going to start off by asking you, um, do you still live in, live in the house where uh, this incident occurred? No. Okay, so did you have to move out soon after? Was it too hard to, to be there after that? I never went back. Uh, once I got out of the hospital, I went straight to a family member's house, and we lived with her uh, until we found a place for my family to go. And did, did you own the home, or were you renting, or...? It was an apartment. Oh, I see. So we were just renting. And uh, so tell me about the neighborhood in which it was situated. Was that a high crime neighborhood where these things would occur on a regular basis? No one had ever been 
shot or robbed that I was aware of. Um, we did have a couple times where the police would come through our apartment chasing somebody either on foot or on a car in a car, but you never knew what the actual, you know, issue was. Why were they chasing these people? Um, and there was some graffiti, like what looked to me like crypt graffiti, like gang graffiti all over the place. It was blue and uh, the little trident. That's really all I know about the crypt. <laughs> But, Never having been a member yourself, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was did experiencing that. So did you? Did you? So did you ever feel unsafe in that neighborhood for any reason? I I really didn't feel unsafe. No one ever confronted me. No one ever made me feel you know like they would do something bad to me. I never had a bad vibe. Okay, so uh, take me to the um, the night that this happened. Um, so how did it all start? Um, so I, was it just a normal day leading up to that? Yeah, I went to work. It was Monday. Nobody likes Mondays, but <laughs> I went to work, uh, had a normal day. I came home. Uh, me and my husband worked opposite shifts, so we didn't have to have a babysitter. So when I'm walking in the door, he's getting dressed to leave for work. We say our goodbyes, and then my stepmom sends me a message on Facebook and is like, Hey, I'm going to go here, here, and here today, which is multiple different stores to do some uh, window shopping. She had just bought a new house. And she asked if me and the kids wanted to come with her and do some shopping. So we went to Rooms to Go. We went to uh, a place called At Home, which has a lot of rugs and decorations and containers and all kinds of home stuff. Uh, we went out to dinner at Denny's, and then I got home around 9.30. Um, parked my car, got the kids out of the car. My son is was two. Uh, I'm sorry, it was just before he turned two. He turns three in August. So he wasn't even two yet. I took him to bed, um, and me and my daughter went to my room, and we sat down and watched YouTube videos for a while, probably 15 minutes or whatever. Her, her bedtime was at 10 o'clock. And so I showed her that, you know, hey, it's already past 10 o'clock. It's time for you to go to bed. And I show, you know, I want her to recognize time so she can see, oh, it's past my bedtime. I show her that it's 10, 13 p.m. I'm holding her hand and we're walking towards her bedroom and I hear a knock on the door. It's a very specific knock. It's like, do, 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 do. So I'm like, oh, that's my neighbor. He's looking for my husband. He comes over often. They hang out after work because they both get up around 10 o'clock, um, probably have a beer together. And so I open the door. He'd be like, oh, he's not home yet. And it was a man I'd never seen before. Um, it was a black man. And he looked at me and he's like, I'm going to take everything you got and he pointed his gun in my face and starts walking towards me and I start backing up into my apartment and he shut the door behind him and he said if you don't give me everything that you have I'm going to shoot you in front of your daughter and my daughter is still next to me and she's four years old and my motherhood instincts kick in and I'm like fuck you dude this is my house and everything I have here I work for I don't have anything to just give you and he said, no, ma'am, I'm going to take it from you. You're going to give me everything. And I kept just kept looking at that gun swinging in my face, knowing my daughter was right next to me. And I tried to smack the gun out of his hand. 
When I tried to smack the gun out of his hand, he kind of threw me with his other hand to the ground, and he shot past my head. He never had to cock the gun at all, so that tells me it was already cocked when he came in the door. Um, when I realized that he was really going to shoot me, I charged after him again, um, and he fired a couple more times. One of those times it went through my right thumb and shattered my metacarpal. Um, after, after he shot me through my thumb, I looked at my front door and I was like, I got to get out there. I got to open the door. I got to scream for someone to come. And this whole time, I, I don't know where my daughter is. I, don't, I can't see her because I'm focused on him. So I opened the door to try and get help. And as soon as I opened the door, he put the gun towards my chest and shot me through my chest, which knocked me to the floor instantly. He looked down at me and he said, I got to go and ran out the front door. And then I went to my bed. I got up and I went to my bedroom and found my daughter coming out of the closet. And she had a towel and handed me the towel as I called 911. And I wrapped my hands up with the towel and put it across my chest to keep as much pressure as I could until 911 could get there. As I'm on the phone with 911, my neighbors start flooding around me and asking me what happened, if my kids were okay. And then my husband pulls up from work to see me. And he thought that I cut myself until he turned off the headlights and he saw all the neighbors around me. Whole time he's telling me I need to sit down, I need to, I need to relax, I need to wait till the ambulance gets here. But I thought if I sat down, I was going to pass out and I was going to die. And so I just kept pacing until the ambulance got there and they rushed me 20 minutes to downtown Houston uh, to the number one trauma center. And... Uh, had all these doctors waiting as I pulled up and they cut off my clothes, put me through a CAT scan to make sure there was no bullets left in my body. And then they left me to sit in a room for hours once they knew nothing vital had been hit. Hmm. In the meantime, police came in, uh, nurses came in, they gave me a phone so I could call my husband and communicate with him. But, you know, we were now separated and he had no idea what happened to me because within minutes of him showing up, there's the the police, uh, the ambulance, and they're taking me to the hospital. Yeah, I've never uh, experienced a gunshot myself. Um, how? So any other kind of uh, physical distress you experienced before, does it compare at all? Is it, how painful is it? So the, it's very interesting because it actually hurt more after the fact than it did during. And I'm sure that has a lot to do with adrenaline. But when the bullet hit me, it felt like a, a bee sting, but it wouldn't stop seeing. Hmm. And then uh, as my adrenaline and I started to calm down, like I could feel it throbbing. It was, I don't know what to compare it to because I've never, I've never broken a bone. The worst I've done is, you know, falling on my butt or my knees, you know, I've, I've, actually been pretty good about not hurting myself in my life so I don't really have a comparison but it was it was bad uh I spent I was six days before my birthday and the hospital only gave me Tylenol 3 and it wasn't it wasn't doing it and so on my birthday I actually went to the emergency room and I was like I can't handle this pain I'm I'm constantly in tears and I can't even you know, take care of my kids or think straight because of this pain. And that hospital that I went to, not not the one that gave me the original, not the where I got shot and they took care of me, but 
one in my town. They were like, they're dumb down there. Here's a prescription and gave me some real pain pills to help me through it. And did you undergo surgery to have the bullet removed? Um, no, actually, all of the bullets exited my body. The one that went through my chest exited under my arm. It came out my underarm on the left side of my body. And, um, and that's, I think, it has a lot to do with me charging after him and my body turning as he shot me. So instead of going straight back, it went at an angle. Um, and then the one through my thumb, I mean, literally went straight through my thumb and shattered my neck. There's a hole on each side. Um, the inner part of my thumb is actually from the heat of the bullet is uh, carterized. It closed the hole on that side and came through the, uh, the side of my thumb. I, I wish I could show you. Um, I think you saw the picture. I did, before. yeah. Uh, and I did have surgeries on my thumb, though. Not to remove any bullets, but I had two different surgeries on my thumb. Uh, and do you have the complete usage of your thumb now? No. Um, I don't have feeling in half of my thumb, and the other half is way more sensitive. So it severed a nerve, and during my second surgery, they tried to put the nerve back together and said it could take some time to heal or it may never heal. And it's been since October, so I'm I'm seeing that it's probably not going to heal itself. And do you mind if I if I post pictures of that to uh, the podcast uh, Facebook page? Yeah. Okay. That's great. fine. I can I can show you. Uh, I can send you a couple pictures of what it looks like now, what it looked like in between the surgeries and stuff, and how it's really changed. Like it doesn't stand up straight. It constantly looks swollen. Um, I have a scar from the base of my thumb almost to the uh, the joint under the nail. And are you, pretty long scar. Is that the hand you write with? Yeah, that's my my, my dominant hand. So a lot of things have become challenging. Uh, I, I'm in pain almost daily. I do run a donut shop and it, it involves me using both of my hands. I can't even just use one because my left doesn't know what to do. You spend 27 years using the same hand and teaching yourself to use the opposite is hard. And uh, so this is this is a major uh, disability for you, I imagine. Uh, so there, is there a lot? Have you had to change the way that you you do your job? Um, I actually switched jobs because um, my job before I wrote appeals to insurance companies for. Uh, surgeries to, to help them help patients bills go down you know I could get them to pay good money it was, it was a great job I loved my job but I typed so much and now I can't I can't type like that I'm in pain within an hour of typing and I can't do that eight nine hours a day anymore so I changed to uh, the donut shop my uncle bought it and asked me to manage it for him so some tasks are still hard and I have to ask for help but it is easier than the job I was doing before on my hand. Oh, I see. Can you hold, can you hold on just one moment, please? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I'm interviewing somebody for my podcast. What's what's the emergency?
Hi, Catherine. Thanks for waiting. So, um, next yeah. thing I'm gonna next thing I'm gonna ask you: uh, Did uh, did the bullets hit any your of your uh, internal organs? Uh, have you sustained any damage there? Uh, it grazed my left lung, um, and so I did a lot of breathing exercises at the very beginning. But I have got uh, I got all the strength back in it, and everything is working perfectly fine. I'm very very lucky that my son was probably the worst thing I got. I mean, other than the mental. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. How about the uh, the impact on your mental health? Do you have PTSD? I believe I do. Um, I did have a therapist who uh, told me that I was showing signs and symptoms of that in the beginning, and she didn't really help me because she just disappeared on me, and I'm, I'm not sure why. She just stopped our appointment and stopped taking my calls and my messages. Um, but she, she said I was showing those signs. And I, I do have a lot of problems. When somebody knocks on the door, my heart immediately starts to race. I start to panic. I don't want to get up. I don't want to check. I don't want to see who it is. I, I'm too afraid that somebody on the other side of that door is going to be somebody I don't, I don't want to see again. Oh, yeah. Did they end up arresting the, the person who committed this crime? No, they don't. They got fingerprints, but they have no clue who it was. And it's really odd that uh, he happened to knock in that same way your neighbor does. I mean, it seems almost like maybe he might have known your neighbor or something, unless it's just purely coincidental. Yeah, I, I've gone through that thought process, too. You know, like, I, I'm i not going to lie. I, I do smoke marijuana, you know, and that was somebody that we would smoke with, Um the friend, not the person who shot me. I have no idea who that is. But, you know, that made me think that maybe he said something to this guy. Maybe this guy thought that we did more than what we did. You know, I, I went through so many scenarios in my head. Maybe he saw that that's the way my neighbor knocked and knew that we would answer the door for that type of knock. Like, there were so many thoughts. Like, how did this person come to my door that night? Why my door? Yeah, and... Uh... Do you, you know, considering how people experience things like this, sometimes details can be lost because it's like your memory um, taps into an instinct to black things out. Do you, do you remember his face clearly? I don't. Um, and that's probably one of the harder parts for me is because they gave me a lineup and they're like, these are the people, there's somebody in this lineup that we think it may be. But we can't tell you who we think it may be. We have to let you look. Of course, that's, that's natural. You can't leave me to pick somebody. But I didn't recognize the face on that. I didn't, I couldn't remember what his face looked like at all. And while it was going on, um, you, you mentioned, you know, because of your maternal instinct, you became aggressive toward him to protect your daughter. Um were there any other feelings that were going through you at the time? Um, like, you know, terror, fear, anything like that? I was definitely, definitely terrified. I was thinking, this cannot be real life. This is really happening right now. I have a gun in my face, in my own home. Like, I pay for this. I work hard, even though it's the best apartment in the world and I don't have all the nicest things in the world. I work my ass off for this and you're trying to take it from me. 
you know, I was terrified, but I also, you know, I knew I had to stop him. Sure. He got nothing. He got nothing but a potential arrest in the future. And I'm wondering um, how you feel about gun rights now, uh, certainly in Texas. That's a place where people are very passionate about gun ownership and gun ownership is very common there. Um, has it changed the way you feel about guns? Uh, absolutely not. I carry a pistol on me every day. Um, it's, it's either in my purse, it's in my car, it's in the donut shop with me. Um, or when it's at home, it's put up where my children can't get to it. But it's, it's not the gun that did this to me. It's the person behind it. Yeah. And that's the person that, you know, people should be angry at. The weapon didn't do it. If he didn't have a gun, he could have a knife. He could have a kitchen knife. Are you going to take our kitchen knife away? People have been killed because somebody grabbed a knife out of the kitchen. I mean, a bat from under the bed. You'd have to take all of that stuff away, and somebody would still find a way to be dominant, to dominate other people, to take from them. So I don't, I have no, my respect on gun, guns are definitely stronger. Um, and I feel probably more people like me should have been armed to begin with. Maybe we would would have been safer. Did you own the gun before I'm that? Uh, yes, I did, and I grew up around them. Uh, I actually grew up in Florida, not in Texas, but uh, my dad had handguns. Uh, he always carried a gun. My stepmom always carried a gun. Um, I remember uh, when I was, I was 10, uh, I had been molested, but I didn't, I didn't tell anybody. I didn't admit to it. I, I was ashamed uh, until when I was about 12 years old. They posted his picture all around the neighborhood, and I remember getting to school and I called my parents and I told them what happened. Like, they, I didn't know what else to do at that point. It had just become so overwhelming that this happened to other people that I needed to say something. So my stepmom came to pick me up from school, and I remember her setting the gun next to me and her in the car and saying. That motherfucker better hope I don't find him before the cops do. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, I grew up with that. That's, that's, it's not like anyone ever hurt anybody in a bad way. They had it just to be safe. How much of the incident did your daughter witness? So she said to me that as soon as he threw me to the ground she ran and hid to the bedroom so she saw everything from him pushing his way into the house um to be slapping trying to slap the gun out of his hand and uh and has, how what's been the long-term impact of that on her has she exhibited symptoms of uh ptsd as well she has a hard time sleeping at night um when we first moved into our, our new place, she was very nervous about sleeping by herself. So it took her a couple of weeks to actually go to sleep without freaking out and having panic attacks and waiting until she was so exhausted she couldn't do anything but close her eyes. Uh, now she's much better. Um, I do have a baker who I was driving back and forth to work and one of the times that I was taking her home, we picked up her boyfriend and my daughter was with us. And her boyfriend had the same complexion, about the same height and the same build as the guy who attacked us. And she started screaming and crying. And she was so afraid that this was that guy that attacked us. 
but she didn't know what to do with herself. And it, it wasn't, it wasn't him, but he just looked enough like him that she had a, a full-blown panic attack. And she's five now, you know, she's, she shouldn't be feeling that, that way. Oh, of course not. Um, how about the impact on your husband? Uh, how, how has he reacted to this, uh, both on the short term and the long term? I think that at first he showed me some signs of like, you know, he was sort of traumatized, but now I think he puts on a front to be stronger for me. But I do think it's, it's changed him. You know, he thought he was going to lose me and it was at a very bad time in his life. Uh, two years ago, yesterday, uh, actually his mom had passed away and he was very close to his mom and, you know, boys and their moms, his mom was boys. So that's what he was. And then shortly after that, uh, his father passed away. So it, it's just been a rolling ball for him that he was losing people left and right. And he thought he was about to lose me. So I think it's changed him whether he likes to admit it or not. And have you uh, developed a different view on life since that happened? Since you, uh, I don't know if you felt any kind of certainty at, at some point, like you thought you were going to die, but... Do you feel differently about life now? Um, I definitely had that feeling that I thought I was, I was going to die. I didn't know what was next for me. Um, I do. I, I think I look at it differently, but it's really hard right now to look at to look at life positively when all you see is this bad that's going on in our country right now. COVID's taking people out, and then riots and pro protesters are fine and they're peaceful, but these rioters make me think that, you know, everybody is going bad. And that sucks. Like, I, that's not a way to live your life, to think that everybody's bad all the time. And this guy, is made, this guy and the, the rioters are making that, that harder for me. You know, how it's hard to trust people that I don't know anymore. I, I don't... It, it, I don't like to say this, but when I see a person, a black man, until we have a conversation and I can, I can feel it in his energy that he's a good person, my heart is racing. I, I feel panicked. I have to, I feel like I need to be on guard. And that, that's a terrible feeling. That's I don't want to feel that towards anybody. That's PTSD at work. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I interviewed a lady, uh, she's Canadian, but she was working in the States for a while. Um, I think it was in Texas, I'm not sure, but she was gang raped and almost murdered by three black men. And uh, she's not racist, but she said, you know, when she opened up a store, one of the first customers was a black man and she, she had to go in back of the store and she's saying, you know, it's not his fault. But it's just uh, the the visual triggers that go along with PTSD. <clears throat> Absolutely, I had a customer, and I've helped this customer before. But because it was so dark, we have a drive-through, and it, we open at four thirty in the morning. It was so dark outside that I didn't recognize him. All I saw was a black male, and I took his order as fast as I could. I put it together and I sent my uncle, who is almost a six foot tall, 300 pound man, to this guy. And I said, please take him this order. I can't handle it. And I don't want to show my customer that I can't handle helping him. So, so please, and, you know, and I, I hated that I felt that way because I know this guy's order by heart 
don't know, he comes in and he wants two sausage and cheese kolaches and two jalapeno and cheese kolaches. And some people don't know what kolaches are. <laughs> what are they? <laughs> it's, like way? A, it's like a pig in a blanket. Oh, I see. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a pastry kind of bread that's wrapped around a sausage, different types of sausage, too. We've got country sausage. We've got hot dog sausage. But if I know this guy's order, this is obviously somebody I, I've seen before, and I shouldn't be fearful, but it didn't matter at that moment. And again, it's like she said, it's not his fault. He didn't do anything. Somebody else did something, and it just pops in my head. There, I, I, Sometimes I can't not think about it, but like something small will trigger one thing and lead to another, and it'll spider web, and it comes all around to that night again. What could I have done different? What should I have done? Did I do the right thing by attacking him? Would he have shot me if I didn't attack him? Uh, what if I would have locked the door and not answered it? What if, you know, what if I had a peephole and was able to look out and see that it was not my neighbor? Mm-hmm. You know, I, all those things constantly in my head. And it's only been a year, so I'm sure it's going to calm down, but it has yet to calm down. And the, the the police are being demonized quite a bit right now. Uh, how would you rate um, the way that the police responded to this incident and their approach to investigating it? Uh, you know, I think that at first they were they were doing strong. They they thought it was my husband. They didn't believe that at first. So they interrogated him like right when they got to the house. But thankfully, I and I get it. That does happen. Women do protect the man because they've been beat down so many times in their brain. They think that that's all they have. But in this case, my husband is a great man, and he was not the cause of my pain. And so once they got past that and actually, you know, took what I was saying and listened to it, I felt like they were doing a great job. They came, they took pictures. Um, like I said, we had we had marijuana in the house. And they saw that, and they knew that, and they put it in the police report. But they did not take it. They told my husband, you're going to need this. You know, you're struggling. Um, When they wanted me to do the lineup, they came to me. They tried to make this as easy as possible for me. Now, I haven't heard from them since, and that's me. That's because I'm fearful to call and not have answers. And I want, when I speak to them, there to be an answer. And I know that's probably impossible at, right now. I mean, I, I don't think they're working as hard as they would if there wasn't a pandemic right now. Yeah. Well, what I'm wondering about is, uh, I mean, you're able to discuss this now, but say they did find the guy and it goes to trial and his attorney is going to be, they're going to do everything they can to try to discredit you, to try, accuse you of lying or, or uh, somehow... Uh, being more responsible than the culprit was. Uh, do you think you could ha- handle that? I think, I don't know, but I think that I would, I want to, I want to be able to handle that because I deserve justice. I didn't deserve what happened to me that night at all. I, I'm a great person and I feel like, you know, the world has beat me down and I'm still standing, you know, I'm still here for a reason and, you know, I deserve that justice. I, I have had a deposition. Um, I'm actually suing the apartment complex uh, for lack of protecting me. There's a lot of things that they could have fixed around the apartment complex, such as 
security cameras, putting locks on my windows, uh, fixing holes in the fence, fixing, uh, we were a gated community and the gate was always broken open. You could not, it never closed. So there was anybody could access us. There was no peephole, which in the state of Texas is against the law. You have to have a peephole if you are renting a home, apartment, or condo. And they didn't have that. So I have gone through the deposition. I have been grilled where they tried to make me seem like I was the bad person because that apartment complex doesn't want to pay. They don't want to take responsibility for what happened to me. But they could have protected me and others in the neighborhood. And so, so you have you have an attorney for that? Yes, I have an. They actually reached out to me, um, and have been working with me since okay. June eleventh, twenty nineteen. And what do they think the prospects are for? Do they believe that uh, you could win that case? They strongly believe that I could win that case. They think that there's absolutely no way they would take it to trial. Um, because they would be stupid. There's a lot of evidence. We have video evidence and picture evidence of ways that my husband, they had a lockout kit on the door so that nobody could get in because it was just a crime occurred there. My husband was able to take video of him just lifting the window up and climbing into the apartment and being able to get in, even though there's a lockout on it. Um, they have the evidence, pictures, videos of the gate not closing, of the graffiti, uh, on the dumpsters and the security camera signs. Um, there is no evidence of security cameras in the apartment complex at all, even though there were signs that said uh, a property is surveillance 24 hours by security cameras. Um, there was one camera, and it was in the mailroom. And I know for a fact it didn't work because I left my keys in the mailroom and I went to the office and I was like, Hey, someone took my keys out of the mailroom because I accidentally left them. Can you view the footage and see who took them so I can get my keys back? Oh, it doesn't work. I'm sorry. We can't help you find your keys. Were you paying? Then he did turn them in. Were you paying a lot of rent at this place? Uh, I wouldn't say a lot. It was probably, I mean, it was about $900 a month for the rent, and then they included water and stuff on that same bill, so I was paying anywhere between 1000 to 1100 a month. Would you say it's overpriced, it considering the lack of security features? Absolutely. Uh, I pay more for my rent now, and I have a, not much more, but... I do pay more, and I'm in a neighborhood with families, and it's a house, and I feel safe here. You know, everybody communicates in this neighborhood and talks to each other, and we have a Facebook group where, you know, everybody's like, if this happened to me, let's do this. Let's view my security cameras. Like, much better. Much better. And in the place where the incident happened, was there even a buzzer system for the front door? No. Uh Uh-uh. Or just a knock. And, you not know, even a knocker, just a knock. Nothing. Wow. And uh, I think one of the feelings that must come up when someone experiences this kind of thing is uh, violation. Like you, your home is your is your home is sacred. It's your inner sanctum. You're supposed to feel secure there. And to have a stranger come in and do this, that did you feel violated on some level? I, I felt very violated, actually. Um, I noticed how violated I felt. Uh, it wasn't at first uh, until I went back to work after the incident and my fear heightened 10 times because I'm like, well, this workplace was my safe place, but 
if somebody can violate my safe place at home, what if they can violate me at my safe place at work? I mean, we have key cards to get in the office, but I mean, I have to have a key to get into my house and somebody, you know, still got in there. So, you know, that fear and anxiety follows me to my next safe place. And that's when I really realized like, wow, you know, it, I don't feel safe anywhere. So you don't, my safe zone don't exist. And so I, I presume this has affected your ability to trust as well. Oh, yes. Um, absolutely. I don't even think that I can trust people that I, I once trusted before. Um, and that's not like people that are immediately close to me, but maybe friends that I went to school with. Uh, I actually just saw an article yesterday. Somebody that I dated, his little brother and him are being investigated for child pornography. And I'm like, that's somebody I was close to growing up. And wow, you know, what? how did that happen? Yeah, right. Well, that that's the thing about a lot of criminals, though. A lot of people assume, well, every criminal must be a creepy, shady figure you would know right away. But that's, from what I've observed reading a lot of true crime cases, that's actually seldom the case. Yeah. The creepy ones are probably the ones you should start trusting. <laughs> that's right, yeah. <laughs> and so... Uh, yeah, people like to place themselves, like, especially in the child pedophilia, they place themselves in a position that puts them there. Coaches, teachers, uh, priests, people that you can trust in your community and think wouldn't do stuff like that are the people who are doing it. Because it's the master manipulators. Well, yeah, and also they they go through, you know, criminal record screening, but there are a lot of criminals who don't have a record. They just never got caught. So it doesn't necessarily yeah. prevent anything. Yeah, it, it, that's correct. I mean, technology is advancing now, and that's great because more and more people are getting caught. Like the Golden State Killer, you know, he, he was killing in the 70s and the 80s and raping people, and he got caught in 2018. You know, it took a long time. But as technology advances, it's getting harder for people to get away with those crimes. And I, I hope that it continues to advance. You know, I wouldn't recommend you read the book about him because I think anyone who's experienced a home invasion would find that very hard to read. But it's a good book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I've loved true crime since before this incident happened to me. Um, so I actually feel like it puts me a little closer to the true crime community because I've, I'm, I'm part of that now. I'm a true crime. I'm, I, I was almost killed by somebody I didn't even know over a home invasion. And, uh, yeah, and, and I noticed that uh, your case received some media coverage. Um, did, you, did, did, you that, did you suddenly become um, a recognizable person? Uh, did the public react to it in a certain way that affected you? Uh, you know, not locally. So it's very interesting. Um, we did do the, uh, we, me and my husband both did an interview with uh, our local station. We only did it with, you know, one news station. I didn't want to be giving everybody a story. Just the one news station that I actually trust to report exactly what happened. Um, they, so they played it on the news, you know, and of course, friends and family saw it, uh, a few people on local bed, barter, and buy groups, you know, they recognized me, but it wasn't a, I don't walk outside and someone's like, oh, yeah, you were the girl. That doesn't happen. But uh, my husband posted on his Twitter, and he's a huge Chicago Bears fan. So a lot of his community base on Twitter is uh, 
the Chicago Bears fan. So they rallied together and they got a GoFundMe. They raised us some money to help us get out and get some, you know, some new stuff to take care of us because I bled everywhere. Um, so they got they got a GoFundMe and started sharing it all over Chicago and to all these Chicago fans. And uh, even Chicago Bears podcast uh, mentioned me and talked about our family um, to help us out. So, yes, yeah, some community gathering, but not actually locally, more Chicago Bears fans. Uh, were you insured at the time? Did insurance cover your medical bills? I, I had, uh, interestingly enough, I had the uh, insurance from the health marketplace. Um, and because of my emergency room visit and all the stuff that they did that night, it met my deductible and my out-of-pocket maximum. Um, so pretty much all of my appointments till December of 2019 were covered. Um, we also have a thing called crime victims compensation in Texas and any other states have it as well, but uh, I don't know where else. So we have it in Texas and they help you pay your bills. Um, right now for crimes like me, they couldn't help with relocation, but for uh, sexual assault, domestic violence, they cover uh, relocation. Uh, each case can get up to 50000 to help them out. It doesn't go to you directly. So if you like, you have to move, you pay for that first, give them the receipt, they pay you back. Oh, Same with my insurance. Uh, the insurance goes and then I submit them and then they pay them that way. Okay, can you hold on one moment, please? Uh, yes, yes. Hello? Yes, it is, yes. Okay, uh, just give me a moment, please. I'll be down there. All right, bye. Bye. Yeah, I'm in Canada, and weed's legal here, and they just delivered it now. Uh, I just have to go downstairs for a second. <laughs> okay. All right, go get your medicine. Okay, yeah. Yeah, they deliver it like pizza here. So. That's pretty awesome. You're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, happy Canada Day yesterday. Oh, thank you.
Thank you for your patience again. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so my next question is about how it affected you personally again. So uh, generally speaking, are you someone who copes with stress well, like before the incident? actually very well with stress. I I didn't even realize a lot of the trauma I had been through in my life you would actually call trauma or a victim because I feel like I become stronger each time something bad happens to me and so it becomes easier and easier for me to deal with the stress and that's actually as I say it feels sad to say that I've had so much bad happen that it's getting easier to deal with the bad or at least to understand that bad does happen often. And uh, I would have no idea what to say to someone who's had an experience like yourself. What advice would you give to someone who wants to console a person who had that, that, that type of incident in their life? What's, what would be the ideal way to approach it or wh what do you think they should say to them? I, that's a tough question. Uh, there's not one set thing you can say to anybody. There's not everyone's mind works differently. Um, but it would really depend on the person. Like my advice is to, to get them to talk about it, talk about the incidents because the more you talk about it, the easier it feels, I guess, the more relief I feel when someone knows, you know, this is what happened and this is what you can do to help yourself, you know, Double check your doors. Make sure your doors are locked. Look through your peephole. Get a ring door that has a camera so you can see who's there. You know, that's my ultimate goal. Uh, but still, to answer your question, I, it's hard. I, I don't know what you would say to a person to confront. I'd say listen. Listen to what they say. If they don't feel right, get them to talk about why. You know, get them to talk about what, what is so hard for them. And to have them talk about it in the past. Don't talk about it like it's happening right now. You know, that was my biggest problem when I first started telling the story. I was like, when he was shooting at me, or he was shooting at me, I need to say, you know, he shot at me, not he's shooting at me. You know, I, it has to be a past, or I'm going to keep reliving it as if it's right now. And it took time, the more I said it and the corrected myself, the easier it was to show it was in the past and the less anxiety I felt when I told the story. Of course, I still have that, that PTSD and the triggers and stuff that makes my brain go crazy. But when I'm telling the story, I feel more confident when I tell it as if it's in the past than it's happening right now. Did you manage to, find a, <laughs> did you manage to find a better therapist than the, the idiot who ghosted you? Um, no, because the next, when I went to was an idiot too. She, I went there three or four times and all she wanted me to do was recount it every single time. Never any advice on how to cope with it. Here, write these feelings down or when you're feeling this way, take 10 deep breaths or, you know, any advice on how to cope with that anxiety and that, that stress I feel when I'm triggered. And it was just a, wow, oh, you're so amazing. I get it. I'm a strong person. I, I defended my family. I took three bullets. Here I am today. But that's not what I'm worried about anymore. I'm worried about the triggers that take me back and how to deal with those. And 
So I stopped going because what happened to me is too big of a deal for her to handle, uh, evidently, because she could never go past the wows and that's amazing and you did a good job. Well, I, I, I don't feel like I did a good job. There are things about what I did that I felt should have been different. Like I should have locked my door. I should have looked out my window. Um, after I was shot at, like, who shot me towards my son's bedroom, I feel so guilty that I never went and checked on him. How do I know that bullet didn't go through the wall and hit him? How do I know? I didn't. And I beat myself up still to this day. I mean, and he's fine. Nothing happened to him. He doesn't remember the incident. He didn't even wake up. But that mom part of me was like, what are you doing? Why didn't you check on your son? And it's also you're, you're uh, plagued by survivor's guilt now. Does that is that it? Or? I suppose that's what it is. I mean, I, I just it. I don't know why it bothers me, and I'm now I'm tripping up over myself. But it bothers me that I never checked on him. I I knew my daughter was okay. I could visually see that when she was okay. I knew she was shooken up. I knew that she had no idea what just happened to us, and I never checked on him. You know, what if something did happen? I would have, I would have hated myself. Did, did her personality change at all after the incident? I mean, you mentioned, you know, her inability to sleep and, and some anxiety. Was, was she a different person or has she kind of gone back to her usual ways? She's gotten really close to her old ways. Um, she still kind of shies off and shuts down in front of people. Whereas she used to be open to everybody. It didn't matter who you were. And now it's a, is this a safe person? I have to convince her when we go somewhere new that this is a safe place. You know, she doesn't like to stay the night with her grandmother um, or her uh, aunt or anybody without us because it puts her in a panic because I... I think that she feels without us, she won't be safe. Or if she's not with us and something happens, you know, she won't know about it. And one thing and, that... Oh, sorry, yeah, go on. No, 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 that's fine. I, oh. I didn't really know where to go. <laughs> okay. And one thing occurred to me, you mentioned that the medical staff at the trauma center left you alone for a long time. And uh, I just thought, that's a mistake. Uh, and did, so what, was that a problem for you to like just be left alone like that after that horrifying incident? Yeah. I felt like I was just a specimen to them. Oh, okay. She's not, you know, in immediate danger. Let's go. Let's leave. You know, and it took time. I'm a couple hours. Thankfully, my uh, stepmom rushed from where she was staying in Magnolia. Uh, she had literally just got home when she got the phone call from my husband that I had been shot. I just pulled into the drive. This is after we separated. So I got home, sent my kids to bed, got shot, got in an ambulance, rushed. My husband called. She's in the ambulance. She's going to the hospital. She was shot. My stepmom turned around, got back in her car, and booked it down the highway and got to the hospital as quick as she could. And then they fought with her to let her in because they didn't know who she was. And I get it because I was a victim of violent crime. They couldn't just give my information away. So they came and asked me, hey, this person's here for you. Is that okay? And they said it was my mother-in-law, which my mother-in-law was dead. So I connected it with my stepmom. So obviously dumb. Um, 
then thankfully she was there. She came and saved that moment of me being alone, and she stayed with me until my husband got there. But the staff just disappeared. Wow. I didn't get into a room until 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and I was shot at 10 o'clock. That's really odd. I mean, I was working at a hospital before I was laid off due to COVID-19, and I know that most hospitals have you know, psychiatrists and psychologists on staff. They even have social workers. I'm just amazed that they didn't send anyone like that to talk to you. And never once did I see a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Um, I did ask for the counselor or the therapist or whoever they had on staff, but they weren't able to bring me back. So they brought me a chaplain. And uh, even after this incident, I'm not very religious. I believe something's bigger than me. Uh, maybe I don't believe it's God. Uh, so it was weird, but I needed to know and understand how to help my daughter through it. I didn't ask for help for myself. I wanted to know how I can help her get through what she just saw. Yeah, right. And uh, did it... And, oh, sorry, go on. Yep. Uh, I was just going to say, he gave... He gave me some great advice, you know, he's like, you just have to be open and honest with her. You have to show her that it's okay to be upset, that it's okay to cry about this, and that we're going to heal from it. And I really, I started a journal and writing stuff in it, and she really helped me through the beginning because she wanted to hear what I had to say of my anxiety and my fears and how I wanted stuff to be normal again. And she watched me cry, and she helped me, and when she would cry, I would hold her. It was like we were each other's strong point, and we kept each other from falling off the face of the earth. Even though she's four, she's just so smart and intuitive, and she knew that we were both struggling, so we leaned on each other. And I can't believe that, like, she was as strong as she was. It's okay, Mama. It's okay. Just cry. You'll feel better if you cry. Yeah, that is great. Did you seek out, uh, you're a member of a victim uh, group on Facebook. Have you ever sought out other uh, such other organizations where you would speak with other people who have been victims of crime? Uh, I searched for a Facebook group for a long time. I guess I just wasn't using the right words to find one. It took some time. But outside of that, I was going to speak at... Um, March, I believe, March is Victims Awareness Month, and uh, the hospital, the name of the hospital is Bentop. They have an event every every year uh, where they have victims of violent crime come in, or of trauma. Some guy got hit by a motorcycle, or he was a motorcycle, and he, he wrecked his motorcycle or something like that. They bring them in there. And you speak on your trauma and how you've changed and all that. And it, that was the only other outlet that I could, I was going to do because I don't really, I'm too afraid to go out and be in the public just because, and this is stupid, but just because they were victims of violent crime doesn't mean they're not going to try to harm me. And I hate that I feel that way, but the public is still pretty hard for me to be in. No, no. And did, you know, before it happened, uh, were you generally a trusting person? Did you feel, were you ever a paranoid person or did you feel basically safe in the world? I was a very trusting person. Um, I didn't have very many fears. Uh, frog, I was afraid of frogs, but oh, probably yeah. about it. 
I never really had, not really, I mean, I dated somebody who was abusive to me, but I still continued to date people after that. I didn't let that hold me back. But now, you know, it, people aren't who they seem to be. And I can tell that now, and it, it sucks. Yeah, for sure. And um, so how do you feel when people try to defend criminals in the way of saying, well, you know, they grew up in poverty and it's all around them? Um, that that must bother you, too, because ultimately it doesn't give them the right to commit this kind of crime. Well, I it does anger me, and not just because of this, you know, crime that I've been through. I've had a bad life, but, you know... My mom was abusive to me. She chose drugs and alcohol over me. Um, I chose to be the better person. And it doesn't, I think the way you choose to act is your choice. If you choose to be a bad person just because your parents were bad people or your environment was bad, well, that's the choice you made. You know, you can grow up from that and you can be stronger and you can be a better person. You choose to stay down then you're always going to stay down. Yeah, did she, because of her behavior, did she attract people who were involved in crime? Did she have those people around uh, her? Yeah. Yeah, I remember telling one of these guys that came to the house to sell her cocaine that I would, I would whoop his ass if he came to my house and sold her cocaine again. And this is a big dude. Like, I, I'm tired of this. I can't keep living this way. You keep bringing my mother drugs, you know. And then she also hoped that she was not looking to this. But she was, um, she worked at a bar. She said she wasn't a stripper, but it was a strip bar, and she'd come home with tips. And she would bring people home I didn't even know. Um, I actually remember one time I was on the computer and she came home, like, late, and she was wasted, and she took some guy to the room, and they did whatever they did, and then he left, and she yelled from her bedroom, how old is somebody born in 1992? They're a year old, or younger than me, and I was born in 91, and at the time, I was 17. Wow. And, yes, and I'm sure she, she lied to her, about his age, and she saw his ID. I have almost positive that's how it happened, because he was in a bar. I mean, he was in a bar, so she would assume that he was old enough. And uh, I think that really changed my perspective on, you know, alcohol and stuff, because I don't really drink that much, and I don't want to ever be impaired that I make that mistake. Uh, was she there for you when this happened? Surprisingly, she, she came straight to me and she did anything she could to help me. Um, my chest wound had to be packed from the inside out, and she did all of that uh, for about two weeks. She took care of me, um, and she went home, and then she came back uh, after my first surgery and stayed for a few days to help with my kids and uh, stuff while I healed. So she did some helping but we can't stay around each other that long. We don't have, our personalities clash too much. And I'm sure I still have a lot of anger and resentment. She made me feel abandoned and less than I should have been. So we don't have the best relationship, but I want her in my kid's life because she's not the same person she used to be. She's not drugs and alcohol all the time. She's not 
sleeping with every man she meets. She's not in abusive relationships anymore. So I want her to have a relationship with my kids. I just think our chances aren't aren't there. And that's okay. I, I had a great dad. He actually adopted me, took me in from my mother. Um, and I didn't even know who my father was until I was probably 17. I mean, I knew him, but I didn't know he was my father. And are you a different parent now? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, I'm a little more worried and I watch more, but I try not to show that to them. Um, my parenting is pretty much the same. So, you, yeah, I mean, do you, do you worry about them more? Or are you more um, involved in terms of monitoring their, act, their home, their activities outside of the house? Uh, I think I was that way before. Um, and I, that has a lot to do with that abandonment with my mother. I don't want them to ever feel like I don't give them enough attention, that I don't love them enough. We probably say I love you once an hour to each other because I want them. Maybe I'm smothering them, but I want them to know that I do have that love for them and I will do anything for them. And I think I've proven that even though they're young and they'll they'll never understand that. And that's okay with me. I don't care that they don't ever understand that. I just want them to know that I love them and would do anything. And uh, So I've always been closely monitoring them. Uh, so in, and during the time of your recovery, uh, everyone starts coming around. Um was there anyone who approached it in exactly the wrong way or were they all generally helpful in a constructive way? Yeah. I mean, uh, everybody was actually really great. Uh, a lot of people that I didn't know, not know, but like I didn't understand their feelings towards me. They really shined. They're like, we're here for you and we're going to do everything for you. My aunt moved me and, my three other family members, so four of us into her home and let us take over her home. She helped take bills until we got back on our feet. She bought us food. She took care of my kids financially while I was out of work and while uh, we needed help. Like they were, they were there for us, and I didn't, I didn't understand the love that they had for me before this time. And yeah. At the same time, that's hard. It's like, oh, it took me, you know, being shot for you guys to show me this. But I'm glad that love is there. I'm, I'm super glad that we've connected on a different level. I'm not, I work for them now. They own my, my biological father, his brother, and my aunt. They all own this donut shop that I managed together. And they took it on so that I had a project, something that I could help them with and they could help me with. So, my family really gathered around me. I've seen a lot of people just lift me up. That Those people made me feel great and safe. Um, I don't think anyone approached it the wrong way. No one ever made me feel like what I did was a bad thing. And there's, I don't know if this is something you're aware of because you moved out of that apartment where it happened right away, but... Um, are you are you aware of how that incident affected that community? Did people become more paranoid about that kind of crime there? Do you know? I I don't know. I do know that the friend that I mentioned, the way that he would knock on the door, um, he's no longer friends with me on Facebook. Uh, so I found that interesting. Um, and we talked to the neighbor that lived next door to me. Uh, a couple of times, and he said they're doing everything they can to get out of the neighborhood. 
and there was a neighbor who lived behind me. And uh, he actually saw the guy casing the apartment for hours before I got there. From walking around, he even has showed me text messages between him and his mom saying, there's this guy, I just don't know him. He looks a little suspicious. Maybe I should report it. He's like, maybe I'll, I'll wait. Maybe he'll leave. And he was the first person to come up to me after I was shot. And he was like, do you need a tourniquet? I'll take off my belt. And I was like, no, I'm not letting go of my chest. So we're not going to do that. But thank you. You know, and then I actually, the day I got out of the hospital, I went to the apartment to pick up some packages and I went and talked to him. Uh, and he told me that he was going to do everything he could to help. He was going to do a photo lineup. Um, he was going to show everything that he reported to the uh, office about the things that they weren't taking care of, like the hole in the fence, the graffiti, all that stuff. He was going to show that to the police. He was going to do anything he could. He felt bad because he saw this guy. He thought he was going to do something, and then he did do something, and it was me, his neighbor, that lives right behind him. Wow. And that, that occasion when you went back to collect those items from your apartment, what was it like to be in your apartment after what happened? Um, so I never actually went to the apartment itself. I only went to the office. Oh, but yeah. when I went to that guy's apartment, because he lived behind me, just standing in his apartment had my, my heart pounding through my chest with lots of anxiety. Like, maybe he's here right now because he knows that I live here. And he knows because they put me on the news that I'm not dead. So maybe he thinks I know his face and he's going to try to come get me while I'm here. So I'm going to try to get out of here as quick as possible. Um, according to the neighbor I was speaking with, the apartment complex was telling people that I knew the guy, uh, that I... I had seen him before and that, um, just that I knew him. And so when I went to the office to pick up my packages, I was pretty rude. After I got my packages, I was like, I'd really appreciate it if you guys didn't spread lies around in the apartment cops telling people that I knew this motherfucker. Like, I was not nice at all. And they're like, we didn't say that. And I'm like, well, they told me your name specifically, sir. And I, I don't remember his name now because... I just don't care about him. Uh, but I, I told them that. They denied it. But I didn't doubt that they were trying to say that. Because they, they told me if I signed a piece of paper that releases them of all liability, that they would let me out of my lease without charging them. And I was like, I'm not signing that. I'm not saying that you guys aren't responsible because, well, you kind of are. You know, you could have took steps. There could be camera footage of this guy, and they could catch him. But you're lying about your spirit. You know, that's, no, I'm not finding anything. My stepmom advised me not to find anything. Um, and then they tried to take me to, like, a civil court for breaking my lease. Really? No, I, yeah. no, no, and no, I, I didn't acknowledge their paperwork at all. I didn't acknowledge, I just told my lawyers what was going on. Here's the paperwork that I've got mail. They're trying to sue me for the broken lease, and that was the last thing I heard about it. Well, yeah, I mean, they better hope that the case doesn't go to trial because if it gets any media exposure, no one's going to want to live there. Yeah, they have 72 different properties, um, and they've been sued before for stuff like black mold uh, in their apartments and not taking care of it, even though it's been reported over and over again. So they have a lot of negligence charges against them and even cases in the past. 
Oh, man. We did a lot of research. Yeah. <laughs> well, I thank you so much for doing this interview. You're a very brave lady. I think you're coping with it very well, considering what happened. Um, obviously, there's uh, going to be setbacks because of things like PTSD. But uh, yeah, it sounds like you, you know, you're a very strong person, and uh, I commend you for telling your story. It can't be easy to open up about that. I appreciate you letting me tell it. I want people to know what you can do. Like some people are just instantly fearful, you know, they're going to give in for whatever, but you can protect yourself. You can stand up for yourself. And it's not every case that you can do that. Uh, but I actually heard uh, on a, another podcast, I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts. Mm -hmm. And one of them said is like, you've got to read your assailant, you know, um, say you're being raped and you're thrashing really hard trying to fight and he likes that. He's getting more excited. Then you need to stop. You need to just stop and he may stop. But you just have to read the way they are. And I, I shook him because he started firing wildly and that could have killed me, but he could have killed me anyways because I wasn't going to give him anything. I had nothing to get. So I, I just say try to defend yourself if you can. If not just try to stay safe. I mean, I, I, I don't know if there's nothing safe in this world anymore, I think. Yeah, I guess not, no. Great. Uh, well, thank you. thank you very much, and I'm sure that uh, other people find this uh, interview helpful. I hope so. All right, I'll let you know uh, when the episode's finished. It'll, it'll likely be finished today, and I'll send you the link. Perfect. And you're welcome. I don't need to be anonymous. You can share it. I saw that you shared the one in the group earlier. Um, you're welcome to share. I don't mind if my name is tagged to it. Oh, great. Thank you very much. You're welcome. You have a great day. Yeah, you too. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye.